Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Wednesday, everybody, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. We are continuing our ACC under review series. If you've missed some previous episodes, we had our Clemson episode on Monday with Don Munson. We also spent some time talking about the new Clemson offensive coordinator hire, so we got into that. We had Florida State last week, and we had North Carolina last week, so make sure you check those out. This is episode four. Mac, it is time to talk about the nine win. Duke Blue Devils. Come on, KG. Nine wins, um, just like we all thought, right? We all exactly as we predicted. <laughs> exactly. Don't go check uh, the receipts. Please don't. Please don't. I, I'm just going to give them to you anyway. Um, I just have to keep saying this because it's remarkable what they did when we previewed Duke and we sat down and we were talking about okay, what should the goals be? New head coach. Don't know who our quarterback's going to be. Just don't know. One ACC win. That was the goal. That's what I said would be great if they could get that goal. That would be progress from the last couple of seasons. Correct. And they blew it out of the water. They blew it out of the water. And it was great to talk with our guest today, David Shumay, the voice of the Blue Devils, uh, who who is there all the time. He's at practice all the time, obviously calling the games. Just to hear from him hands-on what he saw, how he saw this develop, the buy-in with the coaching staff and the players, the understanding, the physicality. He mentioned that so much and gave so much credit, you know, to that strength staff and, and building mm-hmm. these guys and just a different attitude from Duke. I know we're gonna talk a lot about it on the back half, but that to me, it, it was just so impressive very early on about what these Blue Devils were able to do this season. Hundred percent. I thought this was one of our more insightful interviews where I came away from it learning things I didn't yes. know about kind of the process and how Mike Elko was able to do this, which is one of the best stories in college football, one of the best stories in college sports. It doesn't get enough publicity just because it's Duke football, but that's not, that's not cool. And so we're here to give it publicity. And I do admit in this interview, Mac, that when we had Riley Leonard on back in like week two, we had him on. us under the bus. That was crazy. This is just the truth. We had him on because there weren't, Many great games that week. And we thought, okay, well, Duke, they looked good against Temple. Let's have the Duke quarterback on. Now, Riley is one of our absolute favorites. We've had him on again to preview the bowl yeah. game. And he proved himself. Like He he just wasn't that big of a name yet. He had just won right. the starting job. He had just won his yeah. first game. But now people know who Riley Leonard is. And right. he is a top five quarterback, I think, in this league going into 2023. And so, yeah, we're going to want to have him on a lot more. But I'm just being honest. That that was kind of our mindset. And and now we are completely bought in to the Riley Leonard experience. No question about it. I mean, that young man proved it time and time again out on the football field. You say everybody gets to know him. One other thing they're going to get to know about Riley Leonard, he loves some Rock'em socks, yes. okay? he hooked. We hooked him up with him. He's rocking the socks. Uh, and, and just to tell you a little bit about our great partners here, guys, over 10 thousand unique exclusive sock designs love what they have going on every single acc school if you like them they've got it we even have our own sock it's pretty cool if you want some of those go on twitter go on social media and scream for them say we need these in production we might be doing a giveaway for those we need to get to the we people will. they're kind of do blue mac 
They're, they're ACC blue, excuse they're, me. They got much. a little Duke blue in them. I didn't choose the color of the conference, okay? They did that. Now, if they wanted to align with Duke University, I understand. It's a smart decision. <laughs> but ACC blue, just to get that cleared up. But we're also doing giveaways. So, Duke fans, if you're listening, if you're watching, go over to Twitter right now. Check it out. We're trying to give you some free socks. Simple. All you got to do is follow us, retweet, get in there, and we're going to select mm-hmm. some randomly winners there. Really fun success with this. See, people are freaking out about some socks, KG, and I love it. We love it. Go to Max Twitter at Eric McLean and retweet the sock that says the Duke, or the sock, <laughs> the tweet that says <laughs> the Duke giveaway. The <laughs> it will have pictures of Duke socks. You can't miss it. And if you don't win, that's okay. Go to rock'emsocks.com. Use our promo code GML20. That's GML, the number 20. You can get 20% off your first purchase at rock'emsocks.com. We would love for you guys to go over there. Scroll around, see what see what you like. They have every ACC school, every college team you can imagine, every pro team, and they have other unique things, as Mac was saying, like the superhero guys and TV shows and just all sorts of fun stuff. So the whatever you might like for the superhero guys, just if it you blows like those superhero guys, go get some socks. It's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to tell Nick to sit you down, and y'all are gonna go through every single. Marvel movie. That's just y'all are gonna Aren't have there to do that. Like a billion? I don't want to do that. Yeah, and you're gonna take the time to do it. You're gonna take the time <laughs> to do it. Anyway, let's get to our interview. This was so fun. The voice of the Blue Devils, David Shoemate, really, really enjoyed this interview and his insight. Let's get right to it. All right, welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for joining us. And look, we're here to talk some Duke football. What a season! For Duke. It was incredible. And I want to go back to December 10th, 2021, when Duke officially hired Mike Elko. What was your initial reaction to that hire? Yeah, obviously, you think of defensive coordinator, right? So you're like, okay, we're switching from an offensive head coach and, and David Cutcliffe to a defensive minded head coach um, and Mike Elko. But, you know, you know the pedigree of what he came from. You know, he was kind of familiar with the league, with being around Wake Forest. So I think there was a lot of intrigue, but I keep referencing this, and the thing that I keep going back to was, you know, every coach has their theme, has their mantra. A lot of guys have an acronym, and and he came right off the top at his introductory press conference and, and broke out the grind and, and kind of laid out what each letter stood for, and he got to N, and he said, the N stands for now, and the plan is to win now. Mm-hmm. And I think outside the program, that raised a lot of eyebrows because the years before, it had been a real struggle uh, for Duke to win games, and I think a lot of people thought – well, that's kind of nice. Obviously, you want to say something like that. But now you spin it forward a little more than a year, nine-win season. He wasn't kidding. Right. And I think that was immediately a part of the success of this team was to get buy-in from the current players. And, I mean, when you look across the country, there aren't a lot of first-year head coaches that can say they had that kind of success. Right. So let me ask you this because, you know, we, we saw the spring game and, and saw the quarterback competition, which maybe wasn't too much of a competition that, uh, you know, Coach Elko was leading us to believe as camp started unraveling. And I just saw the players and I saw flashes, but I, I, nobody could have predicted this outside of people that were there every single day. So maybe when when did you realize, hey, we got something here, you know, that this could be something cool. This vision might actually come come true. I think it was the Temple game, and I'll tell you why, because I think a big part of the puzzle here, and you know, strength coaches aren't really talked about on the national stage too much because they're not a ton of fun to talk about, but <laughs> David Feely was maybe the most important hire that, that, you know, that Mike Elko made in, in coming here, coming over from Miami, obviously had a long background. 
but you could see that the guys had bulked up in the offseason, and everyone was kind of lost in the skill position battle of what was going on with Riley Leonard and Jordan Moore and who was going to be the starting quarterback. But then when they came out, yes, Temple was undermanned. I, I think everyone kind of thought Duke would be able to win that game. But the way they were able to physically dominate the game and control it and win it 30 to nothing, it was, okay, you didn't just win. It wasn't competitive. And it was like, maybe they're on to something. And then it was actually funny. I was talking with Riley after the season. He pointed to that. And then he also pointed to the Virginia game. Uh, Duke has had a lot of struggles against Virginia yeah. the last half decade or so. And, and not just to win, but again, if you think about the way that game played out, there was a drive late in the game where Duke kind of took the ball and held it for about eight minutes, went down the field, and finished off the game. And, and that was something that had been missing the last couple of years. So I think those two kind of inflection points were where it's like, okay, this team has got something that's a little bit different than the last couple of years. That's really interesting, David, because I think most people who, and this is why we love having these play-by-play guys on, because you guys are so intimately connected with the program. Most people would look at that Temple game and say, oh, yeah, they shut him out. That's good. But it's Temple, whatever. But the difference in physicality that you notice just right off the bat, that makes a lot of sense from what we saw from this team. And you mentioned Riley Leonard. Look, we had Riley on like week two. And part of it was we there weren't a lot of great games that week. And we said, oh, Duke's playing no question. Let's have Riley hey, You don't on. have to tell no, no, anybody no. that. Okay. Hold up. Hold up. <laughs> just being honest. Just being right honest. Right off the top. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back. After we had him on, we thought, Mac and I both said, this guy's got it. He yeah. absolutely has it. And then later in the season, we were saying, man, when can we get Riley back on? Like, it, it completely shifted. And, I mean, I think it's obvious for you as well being around him. So I know there was some quarterback competition, but when did you realize this was Riley Leonard's team and that he could have a special season? I think it was, you know, the Miami game for me. I mean, you, you look at all the, this flashy stuff that was done, and obviously he put up some gaudy numbers even before that, but particularly with the long touchdown run he had at home against North Carolina. But then they go to Miami after that, and, and you could maybe say the season could have gone a couple of different ways, difficult losses to Georgia Tech and then at home to North Carolina. And then you go on the road to Miami team. It doesn't start particularly well on the road, but there was this one play after one of the turnovers where he went – you know, one of the big secrets to the success this year, maybe not a secret, I'm sure you guys want to talk about it, is a turnover differential and the fact that Duke did not give the football away this year. And there have been a lot of conversation about ball security, but there was one play on third and goal where he dove, and from our vantage point where we are calling the games, all you could see was his right arm emerge and go across the goal line for a touchdown. And it was that mentality, you know, being a quarterback, being a leader is not just about your play, it's about getting buy-in. And the team loved that, that he was willing to throw his body out there and stretch it out there to get a touchdown. I've been working all season to get Coach Elko to say it was a good play. He won't because he's going to fall out. Because ball in jeopardy. Ball in jeopardy. He will not give me the benefit of the doubt that it was a good play. He said it's a touchdown, but no, that, that's a ball violation. But I think for the team, they're like, wow, this guy's willing to do everything. And then whether it's you know overtly or maybe subconsciously, you just commit yourself that much more. I mean – Eric, you know better than I do what it's like to see when your quarterbacks want to throw the body out there yeah. around a little bit. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt about it, man. And I think that was, you know, KG mentions that first interview we had with him. And, you know, we asked him because he's a great athlete, obviously. And you pointed that out with doing it with his legs and, and the ability, the awareness. I know you've seen the dunk, David. Yeah, but also a heck of a basketball player. <laughs> he made a free throw the other night. At right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, trying to get him a walk-on yeah. spot. Delco says no. It ain't going to happen. But, you know, he keeps trying. Yeah, <laughs> right. So so with all that in mind, we just asked him, we said, hey, how did you choose? Because you're a really good basketball player as well. And he said that there is no position in all of sports that has the control that quarterback does. That literally 
owns everything of one side of the ball. And I think that's exactly what you just pointed out. He demonstrated that to his teammates. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to do that you know, for us on any given Saturday, any given play. And it also helped that he had great wide receiver play as, as well. And, and when I look at a guy in Jordan Moore and, and would love to know any insight that you have on that situation of everybody wants to be a quarterback. Like if you're that, you don't want to change for anything. That you, you, You've done it your whole life. You've probably been told maybe that you can't. And then when it actually you're faced with that, hey, we need you to change positions. And he does. And he has such great success like immediately. Like maybe not in camp because we didn't get to see that. But game one, this dude's making plays. He's making adjustments and was really that go-to guy. How did that situation unfold? How did he handle it? What was his attitude, I guess, about it initially? If, if you have any insight on that. Well, I think, it. I mean, and Mike Elko's talked about this a little bit. If you go back to the summer and they're going through the competition and, you know, maybe Riley's pulling ahead a little bit, you look at Jordan Moore and it's like, well, what a waste it would be just to have him be on the sidelines during the season. And maybe you could work in a package of a couple runs here and there. But, you know, they were trying to make sure he got some work. while So the reps where he wasn't playing quarterback because he was dinged up a little bit in camp, well, let's throw him out at wide receiver and see what happens. And he's just such a gifted football player. Right. I mean, you see the term athlete now in recruiting rankings, and, and maybe it's overdone, but I think for Jordan Moore, it fits. And, and what he was able to do and go out there, I think it helped that he and Riley Leonard are essentially best friends. Yeah. Riley talks about how he's taught him how to fish, and Jordan's told me now maybe he's a better fisher than Riley. He disputes that a little bit. <laughs> um, but those guys are so tight that there's that nonverbal communication that probably sped along his production and the trust. I mean, there has been some throws this year. We talk about Riley a lot that maybe weren't super accurate over the middle, that Jordan Moore's reaching behind himself, right. making a catch with one hand. Those are the type of plays that that's not something a coach is teaching. That's just something you know how to play. You know how to mm-hmm. you know how to ball. You go out there and you make plays. He's got a bit of an edge to him. You may not think about it when you see him play because he's so gifted, um, but he's feisty. And when I talk to Kevin Johns, he's almost drooling, talking about the opportunity to have a full offseason with Jordan Moore, be able to see the production because he hasn't had much run at a wide receiver position. He's just a gifted player, and maybe we saw that the most this year at, at Pittsburgh. I'm still mad that he's missing a yard. Almost had a can, can we just give it to him? Like, can we just say we did, we gave it to him? And he got to catch it after he got to 199 for like no yards, and it's like, come on, we couldn't just give him one. But anyway, but no, he's just he's just a guy that goes out there and knows how to play and kind of typifies, I think, what this Duke team was this year. They yeah. they weren't really lost in individual stuff, and and they built it collectively, and that's how they got to nine wins. Yeah. So David, you look at that room and and just what they're able to do. Has your know, guy Calhoun? Is he coming back? Is he going to the league? Has he made a decision? Forgive me for not knowing that. Nothing officially, but yeah, he's coming back. Is he real? okay? So that room next year is going to be nuts. I mean, there's a lot of explosive nature in that room. No, yeah, for, I mean everybody's back. I mean, you look at Calhoun. Uh, people haven't talked about Eli Pankle yep. because he he's was back too. Oh my god! You got the receiver room that that's really coming back. Samir Hagens came on when Pankle went down with an injury. So if you look offensively, all the pieces are there, including the rushing attack that was right around 200 yards a game. Uh, for most of the season. So, I mean, you got a lot of pieces offensively for Duke to work with. And, you know, Monk got dinged up a little bit late in the year along the offensive line. I would imagine you're a huge fan of Graham Barton and what he did at left tackle this year. So, offensively, there's a lot for Duke to work with going into the season. For sure. And I I love that we're getting, you know, some confirmation here because – 
Riley Leonard with the connection with those wide receivers. It's I, I'm ready for the Duke hype. I, and I, I've been on the hype train. I guaranteed a bowl win. I didn't even care who they were playing. So uh, the Duke hype train is rolling out of the station, that's for sure. David, you mentioned the turnover battle and the turnover difference between year one to year two. It was so drastic. Did Like, give me some insight there. Did he preach ball security from day one, workout one, in the, in the spring? Like, how did he do that? And I know the team bought in, and obviously you had some players emerge that were just playing better than last year. But give us some more on how he was able to transform this team from one of the worst in the country to really one of the best. No, it was exactly what you said. It was drills and technique. And it was, it, I'm glad you mentioned the spring because mm-hmm. it was every practice. And it wasn't just preaching it. They graded it. Uh, every practice, they graded ball security. And it wasn't just, oh, nice play, you scored or whatever. It was where was the ball when you were running? Where was the ball when you were out in the open field? And, and that's something that I would notice during the game because I was looking for it. Maybe not a lot of people would. Even you think about that long touchdown run I talked about earlier for Riley Leonard against North Carolina. If you watch him down the field, the football never leaves his chest. I mean, he's got it high and tight and held tight. I mean, that's something that has been a huge focal point for them, not just offensively, defensively, because they knew this was a team that had to take care of the football and win the turnover battle. And, and if you look at what Mike Elko's done over the years, that's been a huge part of the success. I don't know if you can ever expect such a dramatic turnaround, <laughs> but the fact that they stopped giving it away yes. Definitely the secret sauce to, to how they won this year. You steal possessions and you combine that with a running attack that was so good at managing the clock. And Duke at times this year could really play keep away offensively. Yeah, the fact that they graded it from the jump, that's really interesting. And you mentioned the Miami game. You mentioned Riley Leonard's uh, crazy touchdown in that game. And I think we were following Duke from the jump, obviously, as ACC people. But when people see that Duke goes to Miami, and this was kind of before Miami's full-on collapse, but, I mean, look, Miami still has talent <laughs> everywhere. That's obvious. When Duke goes down there and beats them 45-21 to 21 in Coral Gables, people start to take notice. Did you feel like perhaps maybe Duke fans or just national college football people started to take more notice after Duke went down there and did that? I think for sure. And, and like I said earlier, that, that was kind of the point in the season where you right. weren't sure which direction it was going to go because – Look, even before Mike Elko, we've seen the Blue Devils get off to really good starts in non-conference play, and then it kind of goes sideways once you get into league play, and you saw the loss to Georgia Tech, you saw the heartbreaking loss at home to North Carolina, and then you go down on the road, and you know Miami, they're, they're starting to get healthy. Remember Van Dyke was coming back for that game, and then the pass rush for the Blue Devils really took the game over on a couple different occasions. You get eight turnovers. Yes, there were some plays in that game where maybe Miami made mistakes, but most of those were, you know, sack fumbles, hard hits, yep. the ball's coming out. It, it wasn't like there were a bunch of gift wrap things. Duke mm-hmm. was forcing those turnovers, and it goes back to what I thought was the character of this team. It was physically a very different team than we've seen the last few years. Mm-hmm. They imposed their will, and, and I've been here six years now, and this is probably the most physical team I've seen, even with some of those really good teams when Daniel Jones was here, went to bowl games. This was a team that really dictated the terms at the line of scrimmage. It was very impressive, and and we see what Riley does, but a lot of that was a product of what was done up front along the offensive line, but also guys like Dwayne Carter and Stephen Franklin along the defensive line. That was what I think was the character of this team and probably emblematic of their head coach a little bit. Right. I mean, both lines of scrimmage just really – dominant at at times and I think the next step is obviously doing that on a consistent basis and and just doing that for you know a full 13 12 game schedule uh and and 
being your mantra, being who you are, because we've, we've seen, you know, especially in very recent history, I mean, Duke's defensive line has been special. I mean, you look at the draft picks, you look at the guys, that the, the names, you know, specifically looking at Demu Keiji, specifically looking at Chris Rump. Offensive line has been solid and, and obviously has some draft picks there as well, but it's kind of been scattered a little bit, I would say. It's been, you know, one guy for a team. It just felt like this year, the offensive line as a whole did elevate. And I know there was an injury to Monk and, you know, my guy Barton would just, he elevated his game immensely. I mean, I think he should have been the, the uh, Jacobs blocking trophy winner. He was my first overall offensive lineman for the team. Just saw him getting better and better. What do you attribute, I guess, that success for the offensive line? Because defensive lines kind of held their own and, and been that unit. It felt this year, the offensive line really to elevated that and matched kind of their energy and, and success. Well, I mean, I think you have to go with David Field, but you also have to go with Adam Cushing and what he brought to the table coming in. Obviously, a lot of experience as an offensive line coach, but then experience being a head coach as well. He really elevated that group. They, they had a swagger to them, which I think you, you obviously look for. But, I mean, there's so many plays you can look at and say, why was this offensive line so dominant? I think about one of the rushing touchdowns for Boston College. I was worried that Graham Barton was going to get in the way because he washed the defensive end at left tackle all the way across the defense to where the running back actually running straight ahead went behind him. He played left tackle. I mean, that's the kind that's of... That's the best that play did. you can ever see. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a pancake. It was just, I'm going to move yeah. you 15 yards down the football field. And that's just wild um, to see what this offensive line could do. And then that allowed you to, you know, we talked a lot about how Duke was really good in the fourth quarter this year. Well, that's because the offensive line has been leaning on the defense the whole day. And, and they get tired, and then you can control the clock. You get it three yards at a time. Look... Everyone knew that Duke wanted to run the football, but a lot of teams couldn't stop it in the fourth quarter. A bunch of different backs, that helps as well. But the physicality up front and leaning on defensive lines was really impressive. You know, Maurice McIntyre goes down early in the year with an injury. They shuffled around. Jack Burns comes in as a transfer. He plays center. Monk goes out and plays guard. I mean, all the different pieces. It was really impressive to see, you know, kind of a no-excuses mentality when they dealt with the injuries and just kind of kept on trucking. And you saw this O-line lead the ACC in not giving up sacks, only give up 17 sacks mm-hmm. on the year, which is a, a big improvement from last year. And, okay, we, we've got to talk some defense here, David. We know Mike Elko. He, if, if Mike listens, which he's not, obviously. He's busy. But he'll say, <laughs> what? He you listens. got Come on. He tunes so in. far into this episode and you were really talking about my defense. And, you know, there's so many numbers that I think can encapsulate the, the improvement. But giving up only 22 points per game last year, when last year you gave up 40, which was dead last in the ACC. How I know Mike Elko is a defensive mastermind. Okay, how does that happen, David? How is that even possible to have that transit that transformation in less than a year? Well, I think last year, if you look at, I mean, it's all about complementary football, the way I look at it. But if you're looking at the defensive stats just exclusively, you got to start to take something away. And last year, one of the huge problems was nothing was being taken away. Right? You plug one hole, you try to stop the run. You're getting beat over the top. You're getting beat over the top. Okay, you're going to try to help there, and teams are just running it like crazy. This year, they really made a concerted effort to take away the run. Now, it helps when you have a guy like Shaka Hayward uh, in there to do that at linebacker. It helps when you have guys like Dwayne Carter and Jamie on Franklin that have the experience to, to plug the middle. Jess Simpson certainly did a really nice job up front leading that defensive line um, for the Blue Devils. But they came out. And they, they kind of had these simple core philosophies. And I think in some respects, simplifying it made it better. And, and the biggest thing was swarm to the football. And, and you guys have watched Duke for a number of years now. How many times last year, the year before, did you see basically there was one guy there to make the tackle? Right. If he did, yeah. it would be a chunk play. Versus this year, 
there were three or four. Uh, so, you know, plays were made, but there weren't very many yards after the catch. And I think that was a huge part of the puzzle this year because when you make teams have to methodically work their way down the field, there's more likely to be a mistake, whether it be an interception or a fumble or an incompletion. Also, teams get frustrated. Teams don't want to go down the field 10, 15 plays, but they had to this year against Duke. There were some moments where drives were given up, but there weren't a ton of those explosive plays that can be backbreakers, and I think that was a big part of the philosophy. And then, of course, taking it away, that was something that we talk a lot about the offense because there were so many problems with turnovers. Defensively, they had some of those same rotations to, to get at, rip the football um, take the football away. Some of that is obviously maybe playing a little bit more zone coverage, right. so you got eyes on the quarterback. Um, but I think the biggest thing was the tackling and getting more than one guy to the football, and obviously Darius Joyner was a huge piece of that, the safety that came over from Western Illinois. Yeah, And, you know, I think, as you kind of touched on it there for a second, the offense not putting the defense in horrible situations, not mm-hmm. fumbling the ball in their own red zone for the other offense, not, you know, giving pick six, you know, just different things that put so much more stress and pressure on that defense from a complimentary standpoint, it was all three phases. It felt like this year and, and what a great foundation that truly is. So David, we, we mentioned all these great things. The excitement level, I think is as high as it's maybe been, you know, for Duke and, and from outsiders looking at this program and saying, okay, there, there could be some interesting things. My brother, EJ Manuel has said, look out for these guys. And as a dark horse fighting for a spot in the ACC championship, Nine wins in year one. You win the bowl game. You beat your rivals, all these different things. You come up short against North Carolina, I know. But what's the expectation for this team in 23? I mean, I think it's actually funny you mentioned that because a couple of things from my conversation with Riley right after the season, I was talking to him, you know, you hey, eight-win season, things are going great. Big win coming off of Wake Forest. He's like, that's great. We didn't win the ACC, so I don't really know if there's a whole lot to celebrate. So, I mean, that's the mentality. That's that a bad boy, man. <laughs> the root of this, you know, to say the expectation is to win ACC championships, wow. and, and they know that going in. And also this is a team that has a chip on their shoulder. They know what people have said about them the last few years, and a lot of the guys are on this nine-win team we're on those two and three win teams the last couple of years. And and I always joke about Riley. He's a guy, a lot of guys have a chip on their shoulder because they want to get it knocked off. He goes around looking yeah. for stuff to put on his shoulder. And, you know, how many times have you heard him say he knows he was the lowest rated quarterback going into the season mm-hmm. and Duke was picked to finish last in the ACC. He lives for that kind of stuff. And I, I do think it's interesting because one of the questions will be, all right, last year, Everyone was saying, Mike Elko, nice hire, but this is going to be a couple years in the making because of the talent and the guys that they got to bring in. Well, now everyone's loving on you a little bit. How are you going to respond with everyone saying, oh, you're good, you're going to be really good? And he made a point, went out of his way, actually, to say, look, those are the same people. So if, if you're going to ignore them when it's not going well, with That's all right. due respect to you guys, hey. right? you guys are one right. of them. We get the same people who are loving you right now are the same people saying, yeah, I don't know about this Duke team going yeah. into the season. Sure. It's true. And you know, it's interesting. that That's a big thing. I mean, learning how to handle success, yeah. learning how to handle expectation, learning how to handle when people are talking good about you. Riley Leonard's going to be a top five quarterback when I announce my team coming out this summer. How does he handle that? Is there any complacency that creeps in, or does he say exactly what you said? I, I don't care what you say. I'm going to play. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to do this for my team. Those are good problems, yes. though. Those are problems you want to have as a program. And just 
we can't give enough love to Coach Elko and the things that he has done for Duke immediately, expectation-wise, mindset-wise. I just feel like they truly adopted him. So, man, what a fun start to this entire thing. To me, one of the treats of being around the program and the role that I have calling the games is that you get to go to practice every day. And you get to be around the team and talk about this. I know you didn't ask about this specifically, but you know, one of the, my favorite things about Mike Elko is his authenticity. He is who he is, who you see and who he is around the team, whether it be pre-practice speeches, post-practice speeches. He's real with the guys. Uh, there's obviously strategy in everything you're doing, but the way he levels with them, the way he can joke with them, but the way he can coach you up hard, I, I think personally, I don't know what you guys think. I'd actually be curious to see what you guys think that there's a misnomer these days when, when you think about college athletes that they don't want to be coached hard, that you, you've got to massage it a little bit and things like that. I don't know if I think that's true. They just got to know that you have their back and you're in it exactly. with them and they want to be good. They want to be pushed and he pushes these guys, but it comes from a place that they know he has their best interest at heart. And to go back at what I talked about at the beginning, when he walked into this team that wasn't very good two years ago and said, Look, this isn't about me bringing in my guys in a couple of years. This is about you guys and how can I make you better. And boy, I think that has paid a lot of dividends. And, and the you know, obviously the results speak for themselves. You're exactly right, David. That's uh, that's the way I think Mac and I both think about it. As long as as long as I know that you you care about me as a person, as a player, you can really say whatever you want to me. As long as you're trying to make me better. How about that, man? It's like I said, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff. Looking at this Blue Devil team going forward, man. Thanks again to our guy, David Shoemate, for joining us. He's a very busy man. He also calls Duke men's basketball, so he's obviously got a lot going on right now. So we appreciate (laughs) his time. And again, I, I mentioned it kind of in the beginning of the episode, just the insight that he gave us, specifically the strength staff and how he thought they we're able to transform a lot of these guys and make Duke a lot more physical. And then the ball security stuff, the fact that they started grading ball security from the jump from spring ball. And we saw how much it paid off for Duke because they went from truly being one of the worst teams in the country in the turnover margin to being one of the best. And the transformation of this program in less than a year, Mac, just truly remarkable. And you see the direct results of, of taking care of the football and, and, yeah. you know, Dave brought that up, that the complementary football, not just defensively, not just offensively, but the entire team taking care of the football, taking away the football, scoring when your defense does get you extra opportunities, moving, ball control, field position, all these different things. We saw Duke do that at a very high level. Some playmakers that are coming back, I think there's a lot of excitement that can be had there with with different things. I think Jordan Moore, Riley Leonard, seeing that connection – is going to be massive. Seeing the growth of what that can look like in year two, where these guys are, are redshirt sophomores. I mean, it's going to be tremendous, you know, j- just to see that. And just to give Riley even more love, and, and you hear from David and the things that he saw, okay, that Miami game uh, where, where he's like stretching out, doing a great mm-hmm. run, doing anything that he can for his team. And we just saw, I mean, we saw that week two. We, we knew that week two. We knew. With his mindset and the things that he said, things that he did. I knew um, when I saw him dunk the ball back. You saw that, that windmill I knew he could be special. And you're just like, whoa. Like, <laughs> that's different. That's different. Um, I want to ask you this. Are, are you, would you lean more with my man EJ's statement or lean away from it thinking that Duke's a dark horse to play in the ACC championship? 
Here's what I, I think that is a heck of a statement, considering EJ, of is course, it? is a null. And is it? you've got the Clemson, Florida State of it all. So my question, EJ, is which of those teams is not going to perform well enough to make it to the ACC title? But I'll say this about Duke. I think How about Duke, Clemson playing both of them, by the way? How about Clemson playing Florida State and having to go to Durham and yes. play Duke? Yeah, we don't have the full schedule yet, but we do know that Clemson and Duke are playing in Durham. So that's going to be very interesting. But I'll, I'll say this, Mac. I think right now Duke is a is a top tier. So if, if – if you're looking at the ACC, I think they can finish in the top five. So the top third of the league. Um, yeah. Now, you know, ACC title, I, I, that's just a lot to say right now with how yeah. we've seen FSU reload with Clemson going and getting Garrett Riley and saying we are going to be more exciting and explosive offensively. And then what Pitt is returning and bringing in with Dracovic, what North Carolina is returning with Drake May, yeah. sure. NC State is going to be a factor. So – it's just it's a lot to say ACC title, but top five, yes, I think okay. Duke should be in okay. that in that realm. I'm, I, I am trying to to pull this out of you, and I'm going to do it one way or the other. If there were still divisions, would oh. Duke be your favorite for the Coastal? Yes. Even though they didn't beat Pitt, they didn't beat Carolina last year. Would they be your favorite this year? Yes, they get they would get Pitt I at home. It. I believe they'd have to go to UNC. I love it. But Come yeah, on. I think they would be. They would be. But that's awesome. Coastal's gone, baby. Doesn't matter <laughs> but, anymore. <laughs> That's a hypothetical that does not exist. So anyway, you're Duke, you're our favorites to win the Coastal. You're right there with us. Bad thing is that that doesn't it's exist. It's no longer a thing. So, we're so sorry. But hey, guys, another fun episode. So much fun. Appreciate David all his time sitting down with this very busy man right now with the basketball season. Really insightful episode. Casey, you hit that on the head. It, it was. Nice. I came away from this episode as well, just kind of understanding more of why things happened and how they happened and just a guy's perspective that's, that's there every day and, and gets to see it. Really appreciate uh, uh, David's time there, and it was a really fun episode. But that's it from us. Another great episode, Graham Lick and Mac Lane. Uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in. Go over to YouTube if you're not here already. If you are, right below us, that subscribe button. Need you guys to mash that. Continue to follow us. Leave some comments. It's fun to read yes. those on each episode and, and the you know, respective fans uh, for whatever episode we might be going through. Fun to hear from you guys. Also, go over to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe there. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, But until next time, we'll see y'all.